Welcome to the Eat, Drink, Listen podcast, where two somewhat knowledgeable guys explore our favorite whiskey, food, and music, and hopefully learn a few things along the way. My name is Ian. And Scott over here. And today is a food episode, and it's one of my favorites. We're talking about curry today. Uh, Well... Where do we start? 5,000 years ago yep, in a land far away. So, <laughs> Literally. Yeah, so I guess we'll kind of kick off with some of the history. It's uh, As we learned with barbacoa, the, the word curry, as we use it today, has changed a lot since the early days. So I will turn it over to Scott. Um, Scott's the anthropologist in the group. We haven't talked about that. much but uh yeah scott studied anthropology and so yeah i think it's cool to do these you know connect your interest in food with your interest in kind of the history of you know human culture yeah absolutely yeah i dropped like 40 grand on a piece of paper that proves i studied anthropology (laughs) um so curry the story starts at least you know, about four to 5,000 years ago, as Ian said. And in India, um, archaeologists have uncovered pottery shards in India, four to 5,000 years old, that contained the remnants of garlic ginger and turmeric, which are three of the main ingredients that are found in most modern curries. And beyond that, um, residue of garlic, ginger, and turmeric have also been found on remnants of excavated human teeth from this same area, from about that same age, through carbon dating, which maybe we could do that on another episode. It's really interesting, because a lot of people end up asking, well, how do you know? And, well, it's not actually that hard. Right. Yeah. And for so much of this food history, um, this is what we have. You know, we have shards of vessels and you know we have little bits of you know maybe something that's cooked onto the side that we can you know so and so yeah it's microscopic things but there's so much accuracy to what we can do with it yeah and it's amazing what um scientists and you know forensic anthropologists can um, dig up using modern technology um So according to an article written by Rachel uh, Neuer of the Smithsonian, early Indian peoples were also traveling from India to Australia at the same time, which I thought that this was quite interesting, and proliferating their dietary preferences and culture there almost 4,000 years before British colonized, sorry, the British colonized Australia, which is kind of a side note, but I thought was kind of cool because, uh, you know, Britain is kind of credited as the first... Uh, outsider group of Australia to come to Australia and then ruin the the country forever. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't know that. That's really interesting. Yeah, and again, they do this through carbon dating and and through genetic testing. I guess it's sort of appropriate that Australia has a similar, like, wrong discovery myth to America. (laughs) You know, like, the accepted one. It's like, oh, yeah, actually people were here way before, like, came over way before that right so, yeah that's similar funny. genocide <laughs> as well the same to the native peoples. fake mythology yeah. yeah yeah so then we get into okay so curry originates 
in, well, curry, what we call curry today, as I said before, garlic, ginger, and turmeric, three of the foundational ingredients found in most curries, found in uh, pottery shards from four to 5,000 years ago in India. So how does curry spread to the rest of the world? Well, as Ian kind of alluded to at the beginning of the show, it's actually, curry is a, a word that was developed after it kind of left India. The Portuguese first came to uh, India's uh, southern shores in 1498, kind of by Sri Lanka, um, in search of cardamom, cloves, black pepper. You know, these were some of the most valuable spices during the, you know, um, the travels from east to west, um, you know, on the Silk Road. It's so crazy to think about, like, like if you had tried like cinnamon, like if you'd like bit into a cinnamon stick in the 1400s, your head would have exploded. Like I just, it's so interesting, you know, like to think like if you could get your hands on a single ripe strawberry, you were like a Sultan, like, right. you know, just comparing it. I know it's cliche to say like, Oh yeah, we have everything these days, but I still do like it boggles the mind to oh, be it's like, amazing. it's like, Oh yeah. I tried a clove for the first time oh, you must be like the richest person in England. <laughs> right. No, we literally live like kings now. You know, yeah. even in these middle-class homes that we both live in, these would have been, I mean, yeah, we live like for, you know, 99.5% of the history of humans, we live like kings now. Yeah. Well, speaking of which, uh, you may not have noticed on the last episode, um, but... Scott and I were recording in about a 95 degree room uh, in my studio. Uh, we only had a little like window air conditioner in our house, but this past week we got central air installed. Yes. And so we are sitting at a cool 74 degrees right now. Very nice. And I'm not like desperately waiting to get out of this room. <laughs> so, yes. yeah, so we are, we are living like Kings because I, I can't even hear the thing that is cooling us down and it's, it's pretty uh, glorious. Yeah. Um, so just, just to give a little uh, context on right. where, where we're recording. Yeah. We were living like Kings of Persia <laughs> last week. And yeah. yeah. Uh, so curry, you know, the spices are found in, uh, southern India, kind of Sri Lanka. And in Sri Lanka, and I'll get back to the Portuguese arriving here in 1498. But um, so in Sri Lanka, which is a subcontinent of India, um, the word uh, kadi, I think that's how you say it, kadi, mm. uh, meaning a sauce or a soup to be eaten with rice, is developed. You know, these people had been eating these spices for hundreds, thousands of years. Okay, so then the Portuguese come to that same area, and they're seeking out all of these uh, these spices that cost as much as gold at that time that we talk about now. We live like kings because we can go to any grocery store and get as much cinnamon as we want for like $5 and uh, not have to sacrifice our children for it. <laughs> Um, so then the British East India Company, which, you know, is one of the most cringeworthy uh, companies who's ever 
uh, the original existed. Walmart. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> the OG Walmart. I like that. Um, was incorporated on the last day of 1600 and within a century had uh, taken over the mercantile dominance from the Portuguese. Okay. And this is when the big changes take place, obviously, because you know, Britain colonizes India. Um, the like bourgeois Brits who went over to India, your dukes and you know just the rich folks ended up falling in love with all of these exotic spices, um, and they took Kadi and made it their own. And then we come up with curry. There was, you know, I, I, I'm sure there was misunderstandings and, you know, problems with translation there. But uh, so, I think it's interesting how it's kind of got a parallel to like salsa, you know, sort of like the way we use salsa. Yeah, absolutely. It's like a specific thing. I didn't even think of it that way. It just means good, sauce, yeah. you know, in Spanish. And so. And it yeah. covers. A million things. Right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so I think we've kind of changed the words in a similar way. Right. Um, so then this, you know, curry becomes, and in fact, the national dish, or at least one of the national dishes of Britain is uh, chicken tikka masala. Uh-huh. Yeah, I saw that. Um, and then curry spreads to Japan, and um, it's called kari raisu, I believe. And it became really popular with the military in Japan, uh, the Meiji, I believe, the mm. Meiji government, um, and the Navy. They instituted reforms aimed, aimed at bulking up their soldiers with regimented high-protein diets and curries that were sweetened, oftentimes with apples. Did a good job of disguising bland or tough meats. It makes sense. Slow-cooking things with flavorful sauces mm -hmm. uh, to make them taste palatable. And it's actually credited for by some people in transforming Japan into a global military power. That might be hyperbolic, but <laughs> I do love curry. I believe it. Um, so as curry became more and more popular, it turned into a ubiquitous staple in most corners of the world, as it is now. Um, we talked about the British loving it so much that chicken tikka masala has become a national dish, which is really actually British. I mean, like they did with most things or most states or countries that they colonized, they take what they wanted, they raped the people in the land and, um, you know, made whatever it was theirs and left and took it back to England with them. Yeah, there was this BBC uh, video that I watched on YouTube that was kind of a short explainer about, like, how did curry become a British thing? And their history about India was so hilarious. They're like, after partition, a bunch of <laughs> migrants came to Britain. Like, oh, you mean refugees from the millions of people that died in India? Like, yeah. it was such a hilarious, like, whitewashing of the whole thing. Yeah, they tried to paint quite the rosy picture, too. Uh, one of the things that I found to be quite interesting, because and Ian and I both love curry, and we both love, like, jerk chicken, Jamaican food, mm -hmm. um, I thought that because of the relationship between Jamaica and Britain that the Brits had taken uh, curry to Jamaica, but no, it, they were Indian refugees literally going huh. to Jamaica oh, wow. that took... Uh, Jamaica was taking in all of these Indian refugees, 
and uh, within 15 or 20 years, because goat was everywhere in uh-huh. Jamaica, so then you know, one of the national dishes of Jamaica is curried goat. That's so interesting. Yeah, I assumed that huh. it was the British that sure. had passed that on, but it was not. It was uh, the Indian uh, people themselves. So several different types of curry. Uh, one of the more popular ones is called garam masala. And this is used uh, more widespread in the in northern Indian curries. And um, it includes cardamom seeds, peppercorns, fennel seeds, mustard, and cloves. Um, and again, usually with garlic and ginger and almost always turmeric. Um, another frag- fragrant um, spice in mini curries is it's called fenugreek. And this gives the curry a slightly bitter taste. It's often found in uh, northern India as well. So curry spreading everywhere. And then it also spreads to Bangladesh. Yeah, I saw that that a lot of the um, curry restaurants in Britain are actually uh, from Bangladeshi uh, yeah. nas- nationals. Who, yeah, and they're actually having a lot of issues now um, with a lot of the curry houses. I think because of Brexit and some of the new immigration oh, laws that are being yeah, passed, yeah. which is interesting because they love their proper curries in England, but they don't want like the immigrants there yeah so they can't have i guess both but um apparently there's like three curry houses a week for a while that were going under oh in wow. this main like curry row in uh, london yeah because i saw there's something like twelve thousand like indian restaurants in britain you know there's right. an incredible number of restaurants and i what did i see the uh phrase they use going for an indian Going, I didn't it's, even hear yes, that. Yes, this is a phrase that is apparently ubiquitous in Britain. Going for an Indian, as uh, that cracked me up. Wow. So, anyways, the word curry now, as then, has a meaning as vague and inclusive as its ingredients. It basically can mean any stew made with quote unquote Indian spices, as well as the yellow spice powder, turmeric. Okay, coriander, cumin, fenugreek are usually found. Um, and Ian, talk to me about your experiences with curry. How did you get into curry? When did you find out about it? When did you start liking it? Yeah, I feel like, I mean, I know I'd had Indian food growing up, but I feel like college in the same way as a lot of things in college where you kind of like start deciding, like making your own choices, like choosing what food you're eating, you know, there's no one else kind of handing down the decisions. So there was a, a couple really good Indian restaurants in Lincoln, Nebraska, where I went to college. And so that was probably because they were some of the best restaurants in the city. And so, you know, if you're going for like a special date night or something, you went to the oven. Like that was the spot the in Lincoln. Yeah, okay. yeah, this beautiful older downtown Lincoln building uh, that was really, you know, decked out with lots of like cool rugs and kind of wall hangings and stuff. So, um, and then, uh, being in Kyrgyzstan, uh, being in the Peace Corps, there was a decent amount of Indian influence. You know, it was 
very close to India, lots of cultural influences, more in like the Bollywood movies than the food. Okay. The food there pretty much sucked, but like it was bland. You said in general, yeah, right? really bland. The further south you go in Kyrgyzstan, the more you get into like the spices. Okay. That like the southern region of food, they did a pilaf. Okay. You know, that was, I think, kind of... Oh, a, yeah, you really like that pilaf, right? Yeah, delicious yeah. raisins and lots pilaf. of spices, lots of garlic in there, so... Um, and then, yeah, now, you know, it's just such a nice change of pace. I, you know, I just love the spice blend that you get in Indian food. The combination of, like, hot and cool, I think, is great in uh, Indian food the um the depth of flavor depth of flavor and the level of spice but with flavor along with it i think is huge for me um and my wife makes a banging tikka masala and so you know that's what the indian food we have at home a lot um and i'm hoping to learn a few things from this that we can like take it to the next level and i feel like yeah, I did learn a few things. So absolutely, yeah. I, as mentioned in the last episode, I really got into Thai food, and then you know I've just been open to a lot of different foods for uh, you know the last twenty years, but I hadn't really been to in any Indian restaurants, and one of my first Indian dishes that I actually really loved was. Man, it's probably been almost 10 years ago now when you guys were making that Indian food. Oh, okay. Like the Richard Blaze uh, recipe. Yeah, yeah. Maybe. And then the rice. Yeah. Um, I think the The rice is a Floyd Cardo's recipe, which RIP to Floyd Cardo's. He died early in COVID. He died from COVID. And uh, that was, you know, my only connection. But, um, yeah, just a delicious rice. And I learned a lot about Indian cooking from just making that really basic rice, just about like blooming spices. Yeah. And, you know, the kind of uh, marrying of flavors and the cooking of the rice. Yeah, it was a great dish. Absolutely. So that I really, uh, I just have, when I, when I get into something, I really go for it. And so um, I really started making tons of different Indian uh dishes indian food dishes after that kind of became uh, obsessed with it and actually ended up writing quite a few recipes for a a university uh here in colorado and fort collins after that um and then i worked with there so uh colorado state university has um, one of the largest um indian contingencies um as far as students are concerned in the, in the country. And I didn't know that until I was working there. So I was working with a lot of these, you know, 18 to 20 year old females from India who grew up making all of these curries. And so, uh, I learned a lot from them and making naan, making homemade naan and, um, you know, just really sparked an interest in me. Uh, and then to this day, of course, I, I love it. I love going and buying the whole spices and, um, you know, uh, kind of searing those up and, and browning them up. And then I've got an actual separate spice grinder that I use for, for Indian food and for my curries. I like making a few different kind of uh, house curries with quote-unquote proprietary uh, <laughs> blends at my house. Yeah, I mean, I think we've mentioned a few of the spices that go into the curry 
powder or garam masala or whatever type of spice blend you're looking for but it was a little overwhelming in researching this just the amount of spices that can go into curry some i'd never even heard of fenug fenugreek yeah fenugreek is that, is that a which you've had many times at my house oh yeah yeah all right well yeah. it was well integrated this yeah <laughs> uh am amateur yeah, powder i'm sure i believe uh, but sure. hey the, you might have uh, said it right I... no i'm sure you're closer <laughs> yeah um you know and then there's your caraways and nutmeg and star anise and you right. know you've got so many different and i think that's what's so cool about curry is the variety but it also made me think like what are what are we thinking of when we say curry like what is what do you feel like is the spice that when someone dips in and is like this is curry is it the turmeric is it the the uh, ginger the gar what do you think it yeah, is yeah so i think the color that they're thinking is from turmeric, right? Uh -huh. And I think the flavor that they're thinking comes mostly from um, coriander, cardamom, cumin, and the ginger and the garlic. Mm -hmm. And I think that is, you know, I mean, while they're, and again, like, I think you uh, quite astutely compared it to salsa. I hadn't thought of it that way. It makes total sense to me. Um, I mean, this is painting with a real broad brush when you say curries and obviously people outside of india where this originated came up with the word itself right um, yeah i thought that was interesting that there's no dish in india called curry no. it's purely <laughs> a foreign invention yeah purely a foreign invention um again you know colonialism raping foreign lands and taking what they <laughs> wanted but so the color you're thinking, turmeric, and then, you know, the, the four or five main spices, as I mentioned after that. Um, we're going to go ahead and leave a recipe for a really, really good and easy to make um, chicken tikka masala on the uh, Instagram page here this week. That's got a really nice gravy as well. Um, but I also really like... And, and I'll put this in the recipe. I really like marinating the meat in uh, yogurt. Um, apparently, the British ways to do it with um, apples, but I prefer. I guess they like it sweeter. After yeah, I saw that that this. they yeah. yeah kind of substituted apples for maybe mangoes or right. one of the fruits that they traditionally used in India. I really like the the yogurt, but. Um, Anyways, so I hope you learned more about curry this week, and I hope you check out our uh, Instagram page to give a go at the uh, the recipe. I guarantee that you won't be disappointed unless you hate Indian food. That you won't <laughs> like it. So before we go, I just um, I, I, we talked a little bit about blooming spices, using fresh spices, fresh ground spices is you know can because in my reading as you know the like uneducated trying to learn more i i was surprised by how often that came up like the quality of the spices is paramount like when you're yep. making a good curry you want them fresh you want them whole if you can if you can yeah. especially cumin coriander the cardamom pods yeah yeah so are there any other like tips um just general stuff that you have for curry um yeah yeah go ahead you'll so you want to bloom those and i like to just put you know maybe like a teaspoon of oil on a fairly medium low so you don't burn them 
right? And I prefer to use cast iron, but you know, get it, I really think it's important if you can get cumin seeds. The difference between cumin seeds and cumin powder is, I mean, it's just exponential. It's just so much better. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of cumin powder. It, like, smells like my grandpa used to smell. Okay. <laughs> I'm not a big fan of that. I like the fresh stuff. It yeah. doesn't have quite that quality. Yeah, the, the powder is just so weak. Um, and then when you've actually made your curry powder and you've, you've, you've grinded up the, uh, the spices... You have to understand, too, that you can't use curry like a salt or something, like a finishing uh, touch. You have to cook your curry or else it will taste raw mm. and it will taste grainy. Uh-huh. Yeah. So yeah, those are some of the, the biggest tips. Fresh spices, whole spices, grind them up, and then you're going to want to, you know, well, the best thing to do is to store a bunch of your spice mixtures for as long as you want. Yeah. And then to cook them before you use them again in your dish and then my other question um is besides curry is there anything else you can use curry powder for or is it like just like do you use it for anything else oh yeah i you know i use it in in a lot like i love i love to use it for grilling meats Mm. um you know i make a you can make anybody can make it a really good like chicken salad which is amazing. Oh, right. With the curry yeah. powder. Yeah. Um, like everybody who has this curry chicken salad, you know, it's, they freak out. Even people who don't like curry oftentimes really like it. And we didn't even get into like the red curries and the green curries of like Thailand, which are totally different. Right. Right. Uh, like lemongrass and stuff like that. It's, it's yeah. It's a wide, wide world. Here. We're trying to keep it a little broad with the curry because you're right. Like we could spend an episode talking about like Chinese curry and right. like curry and like all these specific Briefly regions. touched on the Japanese quickly. Yeah. yeah I mean, it's, yeah. it's ubiquitous, like I said, but um, you know, I definitely suggest that if you haven't had curry or if you've, had it a couple times and you think you like it to really step outside that comfort zone and really go for it and not be afraid to you know to try something new because i guarantee you you'll be like you'll eat it and be like oh the wasted years you know? <laughs> yeah yeah it's uh, an acquired taste that well i don't even know if it's an acquired taste it's an exotic taste yeah that it's uh, an addictive taste it too. is an addictive taste um and it's probably a daily staple of a majority of people in the world, right. <laughs> some form of curry. And so, you know, if you haven't had it, get with it, get with the rest of the world, see how the other half lives. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Awesome. Well, great history there, Scott. And, um, yeah, look out for the recipe on our Instagram page, eat underscore drink underscore listen. And for next week's episode, we have a very exciting, this is coming uh, a little bit back to our region of the world, and we're going to be talking about gumbo. Oh, yeah. And uh, we're going to, again, talk about the secrets to how to not burn your roux (laughs) and how to, you know, make it like someone from New Orleans would be proud. That's right. All right. Thanks for joining us. And for Ian and Scott, this has been the Eat, Drink, Listen podcast.